Take your Bibles, please. Join me in Ephesians chapter 6, if you will. And as we've been going through Ephesians, we're now in the portion that speaks about the armor of God. And remember that we're in a spiritual battle. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We must be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And we must put on the whole armor of God if we're going to stand against the wiles of the devil. Withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. We've already considered the need to have our loins girt about with truth. We need truth at our core to be stable Christians. Truth protects us from false doctrine, from false teachers. Truth binds us to God and each other as a body of believers. Remember, we're not bound together by emotional experiences because our emotions can change, but we are bound together by truth. I love emotions, but we've got to make sure sometimes those emotions go in the wrong direction. And so it's truth that binds us together. We must have truth right if we're going to wear all the, all the pieces of armor here listed. We have to have truth right if we're going to wear those correctly because without truth, what is true righteousness? What is true peace, true salvation, the Word of God? Um, all these things that we're going to look at. And so we've got to have truth right at the outset. And this is why truth is needed at our core. Last week, we considered the end of verse 14 and our need to have on the breastplate of righteousness. We need the righteousness of Christ to protect us. We receive Christ's righteousness at the moment of salvation, but then we need to live in His righteousness to be protected. Very simply stated, you can think of righteousness as right living. What a blessing to have Christ's righteousness imputed to us. But then, remember, we have to live right after salvation. We have to live right. Remember that it isn't enough to know truth, but we must live out the truth that we know. We're not called to give out unapplied truth, to tell people, this is truth, this is what you need, and they look at us and say, well, how come it's not working in your life? We don't give unapplied truth, but we give truth that is being demonstrated in our life because we're living righteously. Truth gives us understanding, and righteousness is obedience in that truth. In other words, we're not just to be saved, but we're to live like we're saved. The Bible uses the term word and deed. In Luke 24, 19, it says concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. Colossians 3, 17, it says, and whatsoever ye do in word and deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. The word or the truth which we speak needs to match our deeds or our works. Christianity is not a dead religion. It's an active relationship with Christ. We do not have a dead faith, but we have a living faith. Now let's read verses 14 through 18 of Ephesians chapter 6. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. 
Now, the breastplate, it's protective. Having Christ's righteousness protects us in many ways. I want to pick back up on that verse as we go. This will be part two of last week's message on the breastplate of righteousness. Remember that righteousness gives us certainty, joy, credibility, and boldness. Let me just quickly recap those. When people don't have certainty of their salvation as found in the truth of God's Word, that happens because they often start living an unrighteous life. And they begin to wonder, am I really saved? If I was really saved. And it all starts because somewhere in their life, they started to get away from the things of God. And then the doubts begin to creep in. But when we live righteous lives, we, we live in certainty. And the reason we feel that way when we don't live righteously is because sin separates us from God. But when we live righteously, we maintain a right relationship with God, and we don't have those doubts creep in. Now, again, I'm not talking about sinless perfection, suggesting that you can lose your salvation or anything like that. But if you are God's child, you know when your relationship with God isn't right. Just like you know when your relationship with your spouse is not right. When there's a relationship issue with a child, you, you know these things. You pick up on these things. Living righteous not only gives us certainty, but it brings us joy. When we choose to live unrighteous as a child of God, we lose our joy. We looked at Psalm 51 where David, he was confessing his sin there, and he says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. When we don't live right... We lose joy. We don't have joy in the Lord. And remember, there's no joy when we chase a moving target. That's what so many people are doing in life. And they think that their health or their family or their children, their careers, all are going to bring them joy. But those are all moving targets. They all fluctuate. They all change. Careers in. Families turn against you. Children grow up. Your health goes downhill. It fluctuates. And we try to find joy in those things. And you'll never find lasting joy in any of those things. You can't find lasting joy in material possessions because moth and rust are going to eat up and corrupt. And man, the moths are out like crazy. Amen. Anybody else got the moth infestation going on? And uh, my dad sent me some bug zappers. I'm going to zap some bugs tonight. It is on. But listen, material possessions won't give you joy. The Bible says thieves will break through and steal. You can't find lasting joy in these things. Therefore, we need to find joy in the one thing that never changes. We find joy in the Word of God and in God because He never changes. We also talked about how righteousness is our credibility. When we give unapplied truth, we have no credibility. Imagine trying to sell teeth whitener when you have really yellow teeth. It was the simplest one I could think of. If it isn't working for you, why do others want to buy it? Amen. Doesn't the Bible say buy the truth? If we tell others they need Christ, but there's no difference in our lives, then why would they be compelled to come to Christ? We need to live out what we preach. We need to live what we're telling others they need. Will others listen to your message because your lifestyle gives credibility to your message? 
right living brings credibility. And we finished last week by seeing how having on the breastplate of righteousness makes us bold or confident. The Bible says the righteous are as bold as a lion. When we know there's been a difference in our lives and we are bold in our witnessing to others. There are people who can witness to others because they can say, look what Jesus did in my life. And they're bold about it. They're open about it. Because there's been a difference. And then there's others that they try to witness, but there's not really been a difference. And it dampens evangelism because there's no credibility there. we got to live this life of righteousness. The righteous are as bold as a lion. Remember from last week, Paul said, Be ye followers of me as I am followers of Christ. That's bold. He's saying, you can look at my life and follow me as I follow Christ. That's How many can say that? Now, that was all last week. For tonight, I want to continue considering this. So, Christ's righteousness protects us by giving us the certainty, joy, credibility, and boldness. But the breastplate of Christ's righteousness protects us against negative emotions. I had a hard time putting this into words, and this may not come out right. So we're just going to spend a very short time here. But this is something I've noticed through counseling others. There are those who will come and they're struggling with some kind of negative emotion. And for sake of an example, we'll just use anger. Somebody says, man, I want victory over anger. But really, the anger they display is only the manifestation of an underlying sin. Everybody with me on this? Man, I've got a problem with anger. And then you start to dig and you realize, no, what you really have is a secret sin that you're getting frustrated with and you're manifesting that anger out on other people because you're choosing not to live righteous life. And it causes these negative type emotions. Many who are angry outwardly are really just angry at themselves because they can't seem to get it together. Many who can't seem to get it together, they, they look at this sin in their life and those other things we talked about, the doubt begins to creep in. The joy is lost. They know they have no credibility. They don't have any boldness. And it just keeps kind of spiraling until it's to the point where I'm frustrated. I'm angry. And it gets taken out on other people. It's because of a lack of Christ's righteousness that emotions get out of whack. Because listen, there's no greater stability, no greater peace than knowing you're right with God. The same can be said for other emotions as well, and i got to be careful saying this, but I've seen it with certain types of depression. Maybe I can word it that way. Some will slide into a depressive state because there's an underlying sin which isn't being dealt with. They get depressed because they don't have victory over some sin, and it'll manifest itself outwardly through this depressive state. But when we live righteous lives, we begin to experience victory. Victory over sin, victory over these negative emotions. And all of that begins to be brought into balance. Does that make sense what I'm trying to say? I didn't know if I was able to communicate that right or not. But let's move on to this one. Christ's righteousness also will protect us from deception about sin. Deception about sin. When we live in unrighteousness, we become deceived to the depth of sin. We tend to look at things and think we're going to be the exception. We don't see the depth of the problem. 
You've heard the saying that sin will take you further than you want to go. Keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to pay. And without Christ's righteousness, we don't see the end result of sin. We don't see where it's actually taking us. We don't see the depth of the depravity. Just think of Samson. He kept venturing deeper and deeper into sin. Thinking that he was going to keep this under control. And he ended up being defeated by the very thing that he thought he could keep under control. His lust for women. Amen. And we could park it right there and talk about pornography and how it takes you further than you ever wanted to go. And for some reason, that's become a four-letter word in church, but I'm thinking we need to preach it more. And that which we thought we could control by simply looking at a magazine has spiraled so far out of control that now we're on our phones in secret. Sin deceives us because we think we're going to be the ones that don't get as affected by it. And as we continue to be deceived, we really just keep going further and further until we're entrapped. And it becomes that besetting sin. James 1, 14 and 15 say, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. I remember watching a show about these cool plants that eat bugs. There's a plant called the cobra lily. Anybody know about this thing? It's in Washington and Oregon. But anyway, it lures the insect into its pitcher with a sweet smell. And once the insect ventures into that pitcher of that plant, it curls itself over and it makes it nearly impossible to find the original way out because it gives all these perceptions of these false exits. They look like exits. And so the insect in there just goes nuts, flying back and forth until it eventually becomes exhausted. And it falls down into the plant where there's these little hair thingies pointed the right way to where the thing can't get back out. And then it just slowly gets digested. Isn't that amazing? I thought it was amazing. I kind of want one for the house. Many don't see sin for as harmful as it is. We only think of the pleasure of its sweetness. And that is what is luring us into what will ultimately break us down and consume us away. We often think we'll just be able to walk away from whatever it is. Some people go to a party and they feel pressure to socially drink and they end up getting hooked. And they think they can just walk away from it. But it's just a bunch of false exits. And it's hard to find that way out. We search for it in our strength and it deceives us until we're utterly exhausted. And we become entrapped with no hope out except we find help from God through Christ's righteousness. And you know you are deceived about sin when you don't take responsibility for your sin. Well, it was my upbringing. 
I'm sure that didn't help in some cases. I'm with you. But don't you put all that blame on there. Amen. We all make the decision. And so what we do is we, we blame the environment of our upbringing. We, we see today people blaming their gender confusion on their own birth. And what people seek to do is they shift the blame for their sinfulness off of themselves. People don't like to readily admit personal responsibility for their sinfulness because they are deceived. And I'm thankful I had a daddy that made me admit, you're the problem. And once one is convinced that they are... I want you to listen to this, this, down, this downward spiral. Once people are convinced that they are not responsible for their sin, I, I was born that way, or whatever the excuse is, then it leads to concluding that it's not sin at all. We're seeing this in America, which then leads to the Word of God not being true, which then leads to denying the existence of God. And the Bible says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. And here's the great thing about having on the breastplate of righteousness. The more you live right, the more easily you'll understand the depravity of sin. And you'll be able to follow that out in your mind's eye and you'll see the end result. The closer you are to God, the more humble you become about your sinfulness and you begin to clearly realize you're filthy apart from God. Many Christians who are saved in church can attest to this. They they grew up in church. They grew up in good homes, good environments. Their testimonies are what some people would call boring testimonies. And there's not a boring testimony, by the way. But many can testify to this because as they grow in, in Christ, after being saved in a godly environment, they grow in Christ. The more they begin to realize just how sinful they were before they got saved. Because we begin to grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. And why does this happen? Because with Christ's righteousness, we're not deceived by sin any longer. The point I'm trying to make may be a little difficult for some to grasp here, but I can tell you from my own experience on this. I remember I would hear salvation testimonies and I would think how I didn't have a testimony like theirs. I was very blessed to have a godly heritage. To grow up in a home where if I blinked the wrong way, I knew it. And I didn't have the testimony of being freed from alcohol and drugs and um, immoral lifestyle, or physical, physically immoral lifestyles, these kind of things. I, and I would hear these testimonies and i think, man, I, anybody else kind of, you know what I'm talking about? And, and you hear those things, but then as you, you grow in your salvation... You get in the Word of God, you learn what God thinks about sin, and then you realize I was just as wicked as everybody else. I deserved the same fiery destination. But God was merciful to me. Amen. And so the temptation is to think, well, I wasn't that bad. No, you were that bad. (laughs) And if you don't think you were, then you're still deceived about sin. I hope that's making sense. The more righteously you live, the less you will be deceived by sin. The breastplate of righteousness protects from sin's deception. And so one is deceived about sin when they don't see sin as God 
sees sin. And lastly tonight, having on the breastplate of righteousness protects us from the corruption of sin. We saw how truth protects us from false doctrine, false teachers, righteousness, or right living protects us from the effects of sin, from the corruption of sin in our life because we're living righteously. We find over and over again through the Bible the principle of God saying, if you'll obey me, I'll bless you. If you don't, I'll curse you. Deuteronomy eleven twenty six or 28 says, Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God when I command you this day, and a curse if you will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside out of the way which I command you this day. Deuteronomy chapter 28. That's a great chapter to read on the contrast between blessings and cursings. In Deuteronomy 28 verses 1 and 2, it says, And it shall come to pass, If thou shalt hearken, if you'll obey, diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all His commandments which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth, and all the blessings shall come upon thee and overtake thee, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. But in that same chapter, you get down to verses 15 and 16, and you get the introduction to the curses. It says, But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all His commandments, His statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Cursed shalt thou be in the city, and cursed shalt thou be in the field. And then Deuteronomy 30, 19 I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. And really, we could sum this point up by saying it's nothing more than the law of sowing and reaping. Right? What you sow is what you reap. Galatians 6, 7 and 8 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall reap of the Spirit, life everlasting. Now, we don't see immediate results when we sow. Isn't that right? You take a seed, you put it in the ground, you don't see the next day tomatoes. When we sow something, it takes time for it to come up. And by the way, that's true for both blessings and cursings. I think sometimes a lot of people drop out and they say, man, this is not the Christian life I thought it was going to be. Hold on, whoa, whoa, wait just a minute. Have you waited for the harvest? And so... Whether it's corruption or blessing, we reap what we sow. And this is why we take time to correct our children. We don't want them to experience the pain and heartaches of disobedience to God, which we had to learn the hard way. It's like our children are standing on the continental divide. Unrighteous decisions can lead to a lifetime of consequences. Bad consequences. While living a life of righteousness can lead to a Lifetime of blessing. If you don't know what the continental divide is, it's where the water sheds one way to the Pacific and the other way to the Atlantic or the Gulf of Mexico. And in just a very short distance, in a very short space, a rainstorm can have water go in two completely different directions. One little area, one little divide, one, one little peak. And you can see a lifetime of difference 
And what our children many times see is just minor issues. Well, I don't like that. Well, first of all, we need to be explaining the principle as well, but uh, that's another sermon. And so they, they see these things, that they're, they're minor issues to them that we understand if they make a turn to unrighteousness, it can lead them completely away in another continent away. One decision. This is what sin and unrighteousness living, it, it does in our lives. It, it leads us in a direction that we don't ever want to go. But we don't see it that way at the time. And we just see the well-watered plain. But when we have on the breastplate of righteousness, Christ's righteousness protects us from the corruption of sin. Because we are abstaining from sin. We're, we're choosing to live right. It keeps us heading in a right direction. Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Do you want to be blessed in this life? I know you do. That's why you're here tonight. Listen, as this world continues to implode, you will become more and more convinced that there are no blessings to be gleaned from this world. <laughs> James wrote, Every good gift, every perfect gift cometh from above. Cometh down from the Father of lights. Blessings come from above. We just sang tonight about showers of blessings. Because they come from above. And if you want to be blessed in this life, if you want to be protected from the corruption of sin, by having Christ's righteousness as your breastplate, I want you to get this. You are going to have to hunger and thirst after righteousness. You don't just magically wake up and live righteous. One of our biggest problems in America is that we're, we're at the place where we don't see the need. We're not hungry and thirsty. We're like the church of the Laodiceans to who Jesus said, Because thou sayest I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. When do you feel like you have to eat? Not American culture have to eat. When do you know you have to eat? It's when you're truly hungry. When do you know you truly have to have water? It's when you're really thirsty. And I mention this because these are things that we can feel. We can feel the need. You know, you know you're hungry and thirsty because you feel it. For example, my wife refused to feed me tonight. I can tell the story if I have to. And I'm hungry. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Nobody cares. You know because you're hungry. <laughs> you can feel it. And, and you will truly hunger and thirst after righteousness when you begin to feel the need for it. It's why you don't have victory. It's why you don't have peace. That's why you don't have these things in life that we've been talking about because you don't hunger and thirst after it. But when you get hungry enough, you'll eat the bread of life. When you get thirsty enough, you'll drink from the water of life. My point is, 
all of us would admit we want to live blessed lives that are protected from the corruption of sin. But you will not pursue after righteousness until you begin to hunger and thirst after it. Many are after the blessings of righteousness without ever living the life of righteousness. You want the blessings of being in the home without obeying the rules. Did you have the kind of upbringing I did? You obey the rules or don't let the door hit you on the way out. I kind of like those blessings I had at home. And we want the blessings of being in God's house, but we don't want to follow His rules. There's no true hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And here's the reason why. It's because we're consuming other things that please our flesh. That please the carnal man. That fills our appetite, if you will. The Bible says in Galatians 5, 24 and 25, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk after the Spirit. You see, we're too busy indulging in our sinful lust to become hungry and thirsty for righteousness. So what does God do in that situation? He brings circumstances into your life to get you to hunger and thirst after righteousness. We see this in the life of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. He took the portion of his inheritance from his dad. He gathered his things together. He took his journey into a far country. And the Bible says he wasted his substance with riotous living, unrighteous living. He was enjoying the pleasures of sin. If you remember that chapter, God began to bring about circumstances in his life. There was a famine in the land. In Luke 15, verses 14 through 19, it says, And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. No man gave unto him. And listen to what the Bible says. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. You know what happened to the prodigal son? He got hungry. He got hungry. That food of the world, that nasty, it was no longer able to sustain him, and he felt like he was going to perish. And in that hunger, which he could feel, he came to himself and he's reminded in my father's house, the servants have more than enough to eat. And you may not be hungering and thirsting after righteousness just this moment. But you wait. God's bringing circumstances about in your life to bring you to the place where you're going to have to make the decision. Do I stay and eat with the swine? Or do I go back to my father's house where there's plenty to eat? God's going to bring you to the place of hungering and you're going to have a decision to make. There's plenty of food and water in our heavenly father's house. 
out there in the world, there's only the stench of sin in the hog's pen. But with the Father, there's preservation from the corruption of sin. Well, we could do an entire series on righteousness. But let me bring this to a close by saying, there are great protections for having on the breastplate of righteousness. Certainly there's more we could say. But righteousness gives us certainty, joy, credibility, boldness. It protects us from those negative emotions, the deception of sin, the corruption of sin. And if you're not experiencing these blessings of Christ's righteousness, then you're not hungry and thirsty enough. It's just that simple. You're not hungry enough. You're not thirsty enough. Well, I just can't get victory. Yeah, I know. You're not hungry enough. You're not thirsty enough. You're too busy pleasing that old carnal nature. You say, is it really that plain and simple? Yeah. Don't overcomplicate things. People want to overcomplicate the Scriptures like it's some mystery living the Spirit-filled life. You just need to admit you don't want it bad enough yet. Would you at least be honest with God? I don't know where you're at tonight, but if you're not, if you're not experiencing some of these things, you're not hungry yet. And you need to ask the Father for help. Let's pray.